I'm Dick Moberg, and for more than 40 years, I've been developing technology to advance our understanding of the injured brain. I've had a chance to work with some of the leading minds in the field of neuromonitoring, including physicians, researchers, and entrepreneurs. I want to share their stories with you in the form of a weekly podcast so you can stay current on the latest developments in the field and the innovative people behind them. This is my neural network. Hi, I'm Dick Moberg, and our topic today is Big Data and the Cloud in TBI. And uh, we're going to have a view from the outside. And our outsiders are our two guests, Craig Maddox, uh, who's healthcare analytics and technical specialist at IBM, and Mark Callens, who is a technical executive for data and AI in healthcare. So welcome, you guys. Thanks, Dick. Glad to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, we just had a great dinner in New York, and we're in a little bar here that's a little bit noisy, but I think we'll be able to do this fine here. And uh, thanks, I enjoyed uh, being with you this evening. Uh, so we're going to talk about um, uh, your experience at IBM in working at, in uh, data, uh, in big data and cloud technology in areas that are um, not quite related to our area of brain injury, but in other, in other, in other sectors or in, in other areas of healthcare. And the, the idea is to try to figure out how do we, um, what, what do you see uh, of what you're doing now? How could that be applied to uh, traumatic brain injury? So that's what we're going to discuss. And uh, some of our listeners uh, probably are still a little confused on really what is big data and what is cloud computing. So uh, do, do, does one of you want to define what, what is your definition of big data? So yeah, this is Craig. Um, so yeah, people typically define big data along um, any number of dimensions that always starts with a V and there's velocity for data that's going really fast and variability for data that's in all different kinds of forms and volume for data that's just so much data. So you you add up these dimensions and you decide that, yeah, I'm working on a big data problem. Um, and it's it's interesting because we've been, we've been working on these problems in other areas for, uh, I would say, decades. Uh, my first big data problem was right after 9-11, we implemented all these banking regulations and all of a sudden we had to figure out, you know, if, if somebody was doing money laundering and that and that required doing incredible analysis on tons and tons of banking data. Um, my, my interest in big data was peaked when I learned of a use case where people were analyzing signals, um, audio signals, to decide if, if a rabbit was crossing um, a demilitarized zone or it was a jeep. And so the, we've been solving these problems in other areas for a long time, and I'm happy that we're now beginning to approach um, pr- approach them in the healthcare industry as well. That's great. Um, and what about cloud computing? What's uh, well? How would you define that, Mark? So cloud computing basically is using somebody else's data center, really. So it's a data center that has been externalized for public consumption for both consumers and large companies, small companies, to access it without having to spend the resources to buy their own hardware and administer the networks and the disks um, and all the software. Now they're relying on somebody else to lay down the infrastructure and they'll just use that environment or they'll create an infrastructure for them. 
you want to add to that? Um, yeah, so it's, it's really about flexibility because it, um, typical IT infrastructures, everyone knows you know, it took months and weeks and, and, and longer to get somebody to give you a computer to do something with. And so the, the, attractive, the attractiveness of these platforms is that you know, I can swipe my credit card and you know, in a half an hour I can run running a, a very powerful server on any number of cloud services with GPUs and, and all kinds of stuff. So this flexibility of, I want to use it for this afternoon and then I don't need it anymore and I want it to only cost me $100 rather than it's $40,000 $40, to install a server and get my IT department involved in that effort. That's the attractiveness of this. So it's putting this compute power in a very flexible, economic um, way into the people that need it when they need it and when they don't need it they can turn it off and stop paying for it fair enough that's a good definition i like that and from a uh, from a person that has a small company here the benefits are pretty significant because we don't have to build that infrastructure but yet we can provide the value to customers uh of, of, the, of the cloud so uh, so that's what it's all about i mean some people have told me well just um you know just just dragging some files to dropbox is using the cloud, and, and that is another definition of it. But, but, <laughs> but, but, yeah, right, right. Yeah. It's somebody else's storage, and what you want is I want to share this file, and it's two gig with my friend, and I don't want to have to put it on a on a USB stick and stick it in the mail. I want him to have it this afternoon, and so this is how you do it, and that's worth that few pennies that it costs to do that. It's less than less than the price of a postage stamp to mail the silly thing. So. And, and you know it's going to be safeguarded also because right, exactly. they put forth the backup and recovery for it, so it's you know that it's redundant. So the things that we tell people, you know, in a commercial market or a at-home market, you know, they should back up their data. Most people don't. It's it's cumbersome to do that. So they can put it up to uh, the cloud and know that their their data is safeguarded not just once but multiple times, so that if it ever gets lost or crashed, they can easily restore it and their data is safe. And I know it's encrypted, and I know that Mark is the only one I've given access to the data. So I have reassurance that my, my respect for Mark notwithstanding, that he's not going to take and run away, run away with my data. So, well, so I think that's, that's great. Do you have, um, so, so give me some examples of, of problems you've solved, you know, working with IBM using big data in the cloud that, that you know, that, that we may not see from a medical point of view. I mean, what are, what are the applications you're working on? So one of the early ones that um, we worked on with IBM was around uh, analyzing uh, DNA and DNA markers. And so to, to break out a single DNA strand, it creates about a terabyte of data. And as you go deeper into the DNA strand, it creates multiple terabytes of data. So you're, you're talking about for one... DNA strand terabytes of data that are being created to do the analysis and one of the first applications that I've seen that used in within IBM was helping uh, drug companies do clinical trials to find out people that have the right DNA markers are more apt to respond to the clinical trial because when somebody does a clinical trial they really don't want to get just anybody because that can kind of water down the results. So if they can fill a clinical trial with uh, a high percentage of people with similar DNA markers that are would be receptive to the drug, it helps prove that drug more than just random DNA markers. 
So it's, it's helped out the drug manufacturers come up with that, and it helps the consumer in the end because now they know certain people that they can actually target to. Some people would be would help resolve their illnesses with this drug, and others, they know that it wouldn't resolve because they don't have the right DNA markers where this drug is effective. No, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good example. And as we were talking earlier, it's the kind of thing you need in, in traumatic brain injury. We need to individualize the therapy. It's just that we don't have all that data right up front. But you know, that's the kind of th- problem that we need to work on. Do you have any comments on that, Craig? <laughs> no, I'm just really happy that we're, we seem to be reaching a point where this technology is getting into the hands of traumatic brain injury researchers and clinicians. And you know, a huge plug for you and, and, and the Moberg is that they need a data set that's clean in order to do that. And that's what you provide them. So uh, I'm just really excited about I feel like we're nearing the knee of a curve, or we're getting close to being able to apply these, apply these really advanced techniques by really amazingly smart people, um, and putting the tools in their hands that they need to help solve them. Yeah, thanks. I think one of the things that um, you know, in other areas where IBM works, and in the public sector and businesses, you don't have a lot of the data privacy uh, issues that we have in, uh, in healthcare. That's being debated a lot. You know, I, I was t- talking about, I was just at a meeting where a lot of patient advocacy uh, groups that are really trying to keep patient data protected. Um, I have mixed feelings about that. I think there are pluses about it and there are minuses in that data doesn't get into the hands of, um, of systems that can use the data to extract value that could help us in terms of improving the quality of medicine and and in terms of doing the kind of things that you were talking about, Mark, about, you know, dividing groups of patients into ones that a certain therapy can help and and ones that that it may not. So um, those are issues I think that that we just have to work out as, as a community and uh, see where we can make it work for both sides of the <laughs> of the sort of political spectrum. So, uh, any comments? Well, and I think that's a one of the bigger unknowns within medicine too is the is the brain. So, I, you know, I think everybody feels pretty secure when they go into the hospital if they have problems with their lungs, with their with their heart, uh, with any of their organs. But I think whenever they get into the brain, it's it's a it's an it's a bigger issue with a lot more unknowns. I just had an employee that we lost two years ago who was in a bike accident and had a traumatic brain injury. And, uh, you know, I don't know what type of devices they had to do that, but they kind of almost wrote him off. I mean, he was in the ICU for four to, four to six weeks, and they really couldn't do much with him. I don't know how much monitoring they did with him, but from talking with his wife, it was almost from day one that they didn't seem to be able to do much for him. I don't know if they had the right instrumentation to monitor his conditions, whether they could do something with him, whether they had the right facilities that wherever they took him into in San Jose. But um, it was, it's just such a big mystery, I think, within the medical community and within, you know, the personal community also, when your loved one goes in with a traumatic brain injury, you know, how do you resolve that? How do you monitor and see what's going on there? It just seems like there's it's such an unknown area. 
No, I, th I think that's I think that's correct. And um, do you have anything to add to that? No, I just I, I liked your I liked your analogy earlier about the safety of airline flights. And if 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 you know treating the fact that we ask you, gosh, you know what's what are the you know what are the good hospitals if if my loved one does get an injury. That, 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 that should not, where, where's the good my, hospital? My it? decision of where to retire shouldn't really hinge on well, where's the best you know neuro trauma center you know in that in that area. It should be like I shouldn't have to choose airplanes based on safety ratings. Um, so yeah, I'd like to. I'd like we need to bring that discipline into into neurology and, and TBI. And I'd like to see like the work that you're doing with TBI also. Uh, blend into the stroke side as well too. So I've already had several of my relatives pass away from strokes, and once they have the stroke, you know they do the MRI, the MRI that, uh, uh, and once they just see like, oh, there's a lot of blood there. Yeah, probably just chances aren't. It just seems so general still. They're like, oh, they see this one pattern. Nothing we can do. Get your affairs in order. And, and that's it. So it just seems like there's so much more growth that we can do in that area to pinpoint and to see if we can help down the road. It just seems like once that happens, it's, it's game over. So we'd like to see some advancement on the medical side with that type of measurement. I think one of the things with TBI is it's a, it's a little different from genomic data. So genomic data is huge, and there's other areas which are, I, I would say, are truly big data. Uh, in TBI, uh, the data has typically been just an hourly, you know, measurement of intracranial pressure or an hourly um, subjective observation of pupil size. And, and this is this has been the history of traumatic brain injury. And and a, a neurosurgeon told me uh, a couple of months ago. He said, you know, for traumatic brain injury, what what we do is we stabilize what we can measure and then Mother Nature does the rest. And that's why there's so much variability in this. Now, if you think about it, all, all, we've, all we've been measuring is intracranial pressure, one measurement from the most complex dynamic organ in the body. And so I think if through monitoring and big data we can, we can amplify what we can measure, I think, I think we can stabilize more and maybe Mother Nature does less, right? And, and I think that's, I think, where we want to get in terms of um, the, tech, the technology that, that you folks bring to this and just leave less to chance and more that we can intervene. So that's. And knowing, knowing more about me, I mean, personally, I have, I have microhemorrhages in my brain. If I ever do go into an emergency room with, with a bleed, I want them to know that, and I want them to have done enough studies based on my makeup to they know that if a person has this condition and they come in, come in with this type of a bleed, that this is actually the best course of action and not the other. So when you talk about what's the promise of big data, it's, it's being able to empower researchers to say, yeah, let's look at MRI, an MRI history on a patient in addition to all this other um, data when they do come into the, into, the, into the ICU 
and make a decision based on that personal history. And like Mark says, I want to carry it around in a, on, a, on a strip on my driver's license. And not be afraid that it's going to be used by my insurance company. I have nothing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I, I, I think that's the, uh, that's the goal. It's to get, it's get data uh, through all the sort of regulatory burdens. Let's figure that problem out. It's getting data to technology that we can use to, um, uh, to extract the value and then um, get it into the hands of the caretakers so that they can, uh, they can treat things better. And I think one of the outcomes of the big data piece at the end, we'd like to apply artificial intelligence to this as well too. So, you know, I think um, the more information that we have on brain imaging, that we can use artificial intelligence to do comparisons on the on the brain images that we can come up with better diagnosis and pinpoint where the issues are i mean it's difficult for uh, any any one doctor to look at the you know the thousands of different uh, brain scans that would be out there to find out you know what are similarities and these have a certain successful treatment and i think that's the benefit of Having all that data collected as big data, being able to analyze it using artificial in intelligence, doing that type of comparison and correlation, I think would benefit as a tool to the medical profession, to the doctors, to the neurologists to say, oh, I see the artificial intelligence system came up with this type of recommendation. I concur based off of this. I wouldn't have the time to look at you know, 2,000 images, but I see the AI system did, and I agree with its assessments, we should go down this path. You know, just as a tool, not to make, you know, a final diagnosis, but a tool for the doctors to use to help determine courses of action for TBI. I think we have to redefine it to our definition of big data with regards to healthcare. Right now, it seems like it's, you know, it's this study done at these six universities with these, you know, 100 patients, and that's our definition. We have to figure out a way to where big data means I have a patient population of the however many hundreds of millions of people live in the U.S. Um, and figure out a way that these that these studies all feed into some kind of a nationalized collaborative system to where even though I'm in a small community hospital in you know in the mountains of wherever I have access to the, the patient data that is collected across you know the, 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 the Ivy League universities as well I, I think that's a, that's an excellent idea and there is a push among uh, several people to create this sort of national database um, there, there are issues involved, as you can imagine. It goes back to the data privacy uh, laws. But I, I've always been dismayed at you go into an, a critical care room, into an ICU room, you look at all the data going across the monitors, almost all of it is lost. And every bit of that data could go into a database that, that would, would make it so that the patient you're treating today, that data can help you treat the patient tomorrow. And, and that's where we need to get to. I think we need to get this data, we need it annotated, and we need to put it through the technology you guys have to try to learn from every patient that goes into a hospital. It's the only way we're gonna do it. I mean, we, we, 
as, as we said before, we, we collect data from every airplane that flies to make that system the safest system in the world. But we don't do that in the hospital. And, uh, and we, we do the same thing for, for cars. We have a national database for automotive, for, for accidents and insurance, and yet we don't have something like that within when health. So cars are more important to us than our own health and our own brains. It's You know, and I remember being at, uh, at an IBM meeting, which, which, Craig, I appreciate all the invitations, and I've, I love those meetings. But I remember... Um, I remember a, a plenary session in the morning talking about, it was like Susie Shopper or, or whatever it was. And it was all about IBM data on in the retail industry, which you guys are very strong in, right? And having this, this woman go through a store and it would know exactly what she was interested in and you know all this about her. And then I think in our session we had on, on traumatic brain injury in the afternoon, I was saying, and now Susie Shopper goes out outside, out the store. She gets hit by a bus. <laughs> she gets taken to a hospital, and, and, and we know nothing about her. But you know nothing about her. Merlot from France in, you know, from 72, but we have no idea how to treat her brain injury. Exactly. And that's the problem. It's a shame, actually. It really is, yeah. So I think we can change that. And, um, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, for somebody of my generation, um, I, I sort of grew up with IBM. I mean, I, I started programming in the... Um, in, in the sick, late 60s on an IBM 1130, I think it was, or 1170, <laughs> writing Fortran code. And to, to me, IBM, you know, that's like, means computers. Um, I think the younger generation thinks about Google and Amazon because they grew up with everything. But I think people still think of Watson. Watson was really the very first, you know, awakening that a machine could do something better than a human. And I think what, what you folks have done is created, uh, you know, a, a, a suite of tools and things around Watson. And maybe you want to talk about that because we've been using those, Craig, and, I, I, you know, we've had a really nice collaboration at our company with um, using some of the Watson tools. And I, I think they're great. Maybe you want to talk about where you're planning to go with that or, or how they can be used in healthcare and yeah, again, it, it kind of comes back to putting the tools in the people who who can do something valuable with them. And so things like Watson Studio are you know, kind of putting that whole entire open source tool set and some kind of add-on cool things that IBM has developed internally into the people that can do, can do good with it. Uh, it seems like, I don't know, it's probably politically incorrect, um, IBM. IBM is really good at developing technology and getting it into the hands of kind of the Fortune 500s. And so... You know, we'll be, you know, we're on the cutting edge of quantum and we're on the cutting edge of AI with Watson and Jeopardy. And there's a lot of other companies who maybe do a little bit better at marketing that technology. And we kind of still play to the to the big companies. I don't know where I'm going with this statement at all. But <laughs> well, well, the other part, too, that came out of the great uh, Jeopardy challenge was the the natural language processing and natural language understanding that we caught out of Jeopardy, which, you know, it's, it's hard for people to fathom because it's just, it's English, you know, it's understanding. It's like, well, getting a computer to understand English and the multiple idioms and synonyms of the things, what, what something actually means in context to a different, different topic, it's, 
it's monumentally difficult for a computer to teach a computer how to do that. So for IBM to take that over and to teach a computer that only stands, understands bits and bytes to understand the English language in the form of Jeopardy, where you've got these mega minds coming up with this, and to actually beat a Jeopardy champion, two Jeopardy champions, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And now taking that same type of technology now and applying that into regular consumers' hands and trying to understand diagnosis, um, procedures, things that are going on, We've, I think we've, we've tried it in multiple industries, and it hasn't always panned out. I think the health industry is one that it has because the information in the health industry is very well documented. And so it's easy for Watson to learn from the health industries because there's a myriad of well-documented journals, medical journals. Uh, the definitions are very clear-cut. They don't have multiple meetings. So it's uh, Watson AI has been very good within the, the medical community in that aspect of natural language processing, which I think was the biggest part out of the Jeopardy challenge. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, I've heard a lot about. We haven't really applied that to the TBI or brain injury area, which I think would be really exciting to do. Yeah. I'd love to do a, a pilot project where we take, you know, for a whole year, take all of the, the articles that published on Lancet in, in the subject area and feed them into, into Watson Natural Language Discovery and, and, and see what it comes up with. Yeah, I mean, um, for, for a neurologist, you know, they have their specialty. They don't really want to type anything into the computer. They want to be able to talk to the computer. So for Watson to be able to understand what a neurologist is saying and the medical terms, I can't even follow or understand what the, what the doctors are talking, what a neurologist is talking about. But we could train Watson to understand what a neurologist is saying, find out what they're, and, and then actually kick off procedures to go off and look for information, look for images for certain brain scans based off of what the do doctors asked for because Watson understands what the neurologist is asking for. It's very powerful. We, we, we tried it in cancer and it was, I think we were a little bit over our skis um, a bit with that, but it's... A lot of it goes into the training as yeah, well. I think that the technology, the 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 theorem or the the theory that we're trying to test out is sound and I think we I'd love to take another shot at that well let's do it <laughs> I mean we uh, all the cloud yeah right well you know we we have uh, you know the Department of Defense has been very uh, good about funding these activities and you know we just got a a, a nice grant from them to try to um, develop a, a more meaningful medical record for the brain and, and I know that um, Analytics is going to play a big role in this. I, I know that um, getting data onto the cloud for retrospective analysis and all that's going to play a big, a big role in this. And so, um, you know, we're really looking forward to working with you guys and continuing the collaboration. It's been um, not only uh, intellectually stimulating, but it's been fun. And uh, the fact that we're in a, a bar here in New York after a, a fun fun dinner and everything, I think, is a testament to that. And, um, you know, it's hard to find a quiet bar in New York City, but we tried our best. But <laughs> I hope the audio comes out on this. But uh, well, anyway, I'd like to thank both of you for um, any, any closing comments. Or are you? Uh, 
just just thanks um, and I am excited about the future and all of the, the possibilities that you know bringing this big data discipline to these really super hard problems um, by some really smart people um, I think we're you know I, I look forward to more progress and, and I think this is one of the areas that I think gives our job more meaning as well too so I mean Yes, I mean, we've been doing this for 30 years, working with insurance, working with banks, but to see something that actually can go to help actual people who have traumatic brain injuries or, you know, this can be used for cardio problems as well, too, it's, it's much more fulfilling for us to see this being applied to, I know, to me, something more meaningful, something that, that drives home, because it's about people, helping people. It's all, it's all well and good to help a bank make more money and to make, help somebody sell more shoes, but making a difference in people's lives directly is what has ignited my passion. That's why I've been, um, I was indoctrinated into the, the Church of Moberg a number of years ago, and I've been a, I've, it's been a, a great passion. So it's rare, I guess, if, if, you, if in your life you get an opportunity to work on a problem like this, um, it's, 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 a, it's a good thing. Well, thank you, Craig. Um, we, we haven't been called a church. A lot of other things, but but um, I'll take it. That's good. <laughs> I didn't want to call it a cult. It's not really a cult. It's, it's not a gang. It's a club. Well, anyway, but but really, thank you guys for uh, spending some of your uh, evening here uh, talking about this. It's been wonderful, and uh, have a safe trip back tomorrow. And uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. And we'll just see you in Canada. Yep, exactly. All right, good enough. Thanks, thanks a lot. So thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoy these interviews, please take a moment to rate and review this show on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Dick Moberg's Neural Network to receive notifications when future installments are available. And of course, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Moberg Research, Inc., Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again soon.